The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. There are just a couple of weeks left to pre-order my debut memoir, The Family Outing. It's all about how everyone in my family, literally everyone, found a way out of a closet and toward each other, I'd like to think at least. If you've already pre-ordered your book, thank you so much. I really mean it. It should arrive in your mailbox on October 4th. And if you still need yours, well, there's time. It's available wherever books are sold. Now to the show. We all do harm, even if we try very hard not to. And we've all had the experience of being harmed in small and not so small ways. You know, in my journalism career, I reported on a lot of it. I wrote so much about the Me Too movement, for example, as powerful people were called out for inappropriate behavior. Institutions also do harm. So do companies and governments. So today, I wanted to devote an entire episode to how we make things right. Because our office cultures get better, our society improves, our democracy grows stronger when we get past our transgressions, when we can trust each other, when we can figure out how to repair, how to get to the other side truly of forgiveness. My guest today is Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. Danya is an outspoken feminist and a spiritual leader. Her new book is called On Repentance and Repair, Making Amends in an Unapologetic World. And fun fact about Danya, she came along with me on my very first trip to a gay bar back in college. That's how long we've known each other. After the Me Too movement got underway, a journalist friend asked Danya what happens to people who've been named as abusers. Danya had so many thoughts. So she published them on Twitter. She wrote about taking responsibility for your actions and what it really takes to make amends. Here's Danya. People's responses were really shocking to me. Like, minds were blown. It never occurred to them that we could demand transformation, that there were ways we could tell if they had done the work, that it wasn't up to the popular imagination that wasn't up to the public to forgive, that it was only up to the people who had been harmed, that forgiveness wasn't our business. We get pretty hung up on forgiveness in our culture yes. and want to just jump there, right? Yes. And there are a lot of reasons for that. A lot of times when harm is inflicted, there's a power story going yeah. on. It's a parent Uh, who's hurt a child, it's a dean and a student, or you can look at structural racism. You can look at all sorts of different ways that power functions in, in a harm situation. And if the victim says, I forgive you, then everything goes back to how it was. And we don't demand change. And so it becomes really easy and tempting to pressure the victim to forgive and then we don't have to do anything. It's all good. Everything's fine. It's forgiven. We're done. So we all want to be my three and a half year old and go back to that like moment right before you've hit your sister and just take backsies, please. <laughs> yes. Um, but that actually is not what we're aiming to do when we do the work of repair. Right. We're aiming to evolve 
to something else. How would you begin with the vision? What are we evolving toward? So if we want to take this metaphor, um, the problem with that attitude and our culture has it so deeply and strongly ingrained. It is a very childish approach to repair, right? But I said I was sorry. You hear adults <laughs> saying this. And the problem is that there is a sister, proverbially, who is sitting there going, ow! <laughs> and the first question has to be, are you okay? The right. second question has to be, what do you need to feel better, right? Any work that is about addressing harm has to be first and foremost victim-centered, right? If the person who was harmed does not get their needs met, then we are not doing it right. If we are not yeah. asking victims what they need, if we are not involving them in every step of the way to whatever degree that is appropriate, right? There are times when we shouldn't approach victims that that would harm them more, noted. Right. But more often than not, we need their voices and their care in the center right. of the conversation. So that's number one. And number two, the other major goal here is to understand why that punch was thrown and to do the work to change so that you don't do that again, so that you naturally and organically become the kind of person that doesn't do this thing anymore. <laughs> and so yeah. that you're not running around hurting people anymore. This kind of healing sounds important and maybe a little daunting. How do you even get started? Danya says there's precedent for this in the work of a 12th century Jewish physician and scholar named Maimonides. He was brilliant. He was born in Spain under one caliphate, and then another caliphate came in, and it wasn't so good for Jews. So he left. He wound up in Egypt. He did a lot of writing in Judeo-Arabic. And his big innovation was to take a lot of these kind of winding conversations that happened in the Talmud that are really amazing, but not linear. And he just wanted to sort of organize them so that people could figure out like what to do. And it was controversial. People were like, how could you do that? And he's, he was a very confident man, <laughs> very brilliant, very methodical. So Maimonides, our, our medieval friend, took bunch of ideas that were all over Jewish thinking and rearranged them and codified them. And he organized them in a new way. And one of the products of this organization was the laws of repentance. And it may be useful to pause here and to note that repentance in Judaism isn't, you better be sorry or God's gonna be mad at you. But rather, this word that I'm translating as repentance um, is tshuva, is, is about returning. It's about coming back to the place that you were supposed to be all along, coming back to that place of being in integrity, that place of being in alignment with yourself. When you cause harm, you've wandered off from who you're supposed to be. And this path is about coming back to who you were meant to be all along, who you want to be. It's translated as repentance, but it doesn't have that, that same baggage. As I read it, I thought, 
over and over again that what you were laying out is a path to live in integrity with ourselves. Yes. And I think most of us, not everyone, but most of us, we know when we are out of integrity with ourselves. Yes. Right? And it doesn't feel good. No. But we ignore those voices, right? Because like doing the work feels shameful and scary and hard. And so it's easier to push down the voices than to like face it. Right. And so we do that. If you're at all like me in this, if you also sometimes know deep in your heart right when you've crossed a line, well, the rest of the episode is for you and me to figure out how to do things a little bit better moving forward. According to Danya, Maimonides lays out five steps in the repentance process. Here's the first one. Step one is confession, a.k.a. owning your crap. That is to say you own fully without talking about what you intended, without talking about what a nice person you are, without hedging, without trying to cover it up. You own what you did, right? Right. I keep picking up my phone and looking at it while you're talking. Um, it's disrespectful, right? Or um, <laughs> we want to talk about Me Too and sexual abuse. Dan Harmon, who is the showrunner of Community, uh, said, you know, I sexually harassed one of my writers for a long time. And then after she rejected me, then I went in sort of a punitive mode and I was meaner to her than I would have been if she was a man. And there's no way I would have done that if I respected women. I mean, that's owning your stuff, right? I remember when that happened. I remember listening to him speak on, was it his podcast, Danya, or was it another podcast? I think it was on his podcast. On pod his podcast. And being so profoundly moved by it because in our culture, we don't do that. Right. And, and so his choice to do that was very, very powerful. And that's a confession step, right? That is naming publicly what you did. This is not, for Maimonides, this is not an apology. This is, we're not an apology yet. But you're just naming what you did. And it's confronting what you did. And already for us as the harm doer, this is hard, right? Because we don't want to name it. It's embarrassing. It's hard. We feel ashamed. And, and not to mention, we don't always understand it on first pass, right? Right, right. And, and like, here's what I did. And, you know, whoever has been harmed says, well, actually, that's that's not it. Right, right. And we don't get it necessarily. And, you know, if we're talking about some sort of uh, social oppression, we definitely might not get it right away. And if we're talking about some way that our own trauma was triggered, it may take us a minute to sort of calm down and be able to really see what's going on. I mean, there are all sorts of different pieces of this, but it's about letting go of that story about how we're always the good guy and we're always the hero who always does everything right. And we have to kind of cross that bridge and say, okay. Today was not my best day, right? right. Or, or, right. or ongoing, you know, all last year, I actually, whatever it is, right? But you have to own it. And right. ideally publicly, because it is about accountability. It is about telling people that you are now on your journey towards anti-racism and you're inviting people to help you 
on this journey or you're now on a journey towards sobriety or um, or whatever. And it is about validating for the person who was harmed that this really happened, right? Yeah. And for in so many cases, there's this element of gaslighting and that this yes. can can be like, yes, this is real. This really happened. The victim doesn't have to question themselves. Or maybe the victim has been saying this is true all along and other people haven't believed them, right? Whatever it is, we're, we're taking the thing that was dark and we're bringing it out into the light. And, you know, that's how wounds heal, is you have to give it air. Once we've done the first brave thing, owning our wrongs, well, then we have to start to change. That is step two. And it's where the current apology system sometimes just doesn't work. Does this mean therapy? Does this mean rehab? Does this mean starting spiritual direction, deep meditation work? Does it mean calling your sponsor? Does it mean doing some deep dive into understanding trans liberation or anti-racism or whatever, right? So so here I want to ask you very specifically, mm -hmm. what is the difference between embarking on actual change, mm -hmm. being in process, and checking the box that says that you uh, you can go back to that great career you had in comedy because you did this six-week program, and then you volunteered, and then you gave money, so you're good. So Maimonides says that anybody who does the confession thing but secretly in their heart is hasn't kind of given up on on changing really – is like somebody who immerses in the ritual bath, which is like the sacred thing for us, while holding a lizard, which is a totally non-kosher animal and totally invalidates the whole thing. Yeah. And so if you're trying to check boxes, it's not repentance work. It doesn't count. We're all fallible and somebody can enter the six-week program with the best of intentions and then slip back. And it may be a process of several years. But if you think... You're going to go in, check your box, and then collect your check. Forget it. I use Louis C.K. as an example a lot. And the part where he gave his somewhat narcissistic confession, but said he needed to just step away and he had a lot of learning to do. And then not very long after, went back straight to the ego-stroking limelight where it was going to be so easy for him to perpetrate again let us know that he wasn't necessarily committed to the change, right? Maimonides says you have to separate yourself from the people or conditions wherein the sin happened. If this group of friends are the ones that you're always getting in trouble with, like maybe you need to stop hanging out with them. Right. And if being in this space is what is making it really easy for you to do the thing, you need to put a pause and... Figure out who and how else you can be in the world. Right. And that process of changing, um, it's important to give some weight to exactly how hard it is for people. You talk a little bit about the 12-step program in your book. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about it in a different part of the book. But I think about um, when I think about family members of mine who have been through the 12-step program, that one, one really helpful thing that it did is it gave people a path toward change, but also away from the blockers that were preventing them from change. Sometimes you have to step out of friendships. You have to right. step out of community. And that's hard. It is hard. I never said that this is not really hard, profound, 
work that doesn't require sometimes a lot of tears and a lot of soul searching and a lot of sitting on the couch whining, I don't want to, right? And and somebody who now has taken on this work as something of a spiritual practice, I'm the queen of the whining, I don't want to. Okay, so we've admitted that we screwed up. We have started down the hard path of changing our behavior, so we exist more as the people we want to be. And now, only now, now we get to start trying to make it right with the other person. And that can look like a lot of different things. I can't undo what I did, but can I pay back for that flight you missed? Do you need me to pay for your hospital bill? Oh, you have great medical coverage. That's not what you need, right? You don't make amends at somebody. You have to be in conversation with them. What is the thing that you do need? What would be appropriate in this context? What would feel like you would be repaired and not tokenized, like somebody's not just throwing something at you so that they can check a box and and feel like they're off the hook, but that they can feel like it's better so that it's, you know, know, I think about the the image of uh, kintsugi, the Japanese art of repairing pottery with gold, right? You can't unbreak what was broken, but what will be the thing that will be able to mend in whatever way, in some way, right? You give a great example that you uh, talk at length about in the book, which is this man who wrote a letter to Dear Prudence. Mm -hmm. And his conflict, I want to talk about the very end of the conflict, but his conflict was that he had uh, become aware that he had been abusive in earlier relationships with men. Right. And he was now trying to make this right. And you went through the amends process, and I will leave it to our listeners to go explore that. It really is worth exploring. And then he really, he does a beautiful job of doing all that he knows how to do to make things right with his victims. And he's now in a position in his life where he's on the brink of moving in with a new lover and he has a potential and possibility of a healthy relationship in front of him. And he's facing this question, uh, do I tell this person? Do I tell this person that my last relationship ended right. because I was abusive? Right. And everything in him wants to not do that. Right. Um, what does real repair mean in that situation and why, Danya? So Danny Lavery was acting as dear prudence in that moment. And I loved his response. I thought it was spot on, which was, if you try to control this new boyfriend's access to information, that's abuser technique. You are denying his agency and his ability to make decisions based on the full truth and based on on knowledge that he has every right to have. And yes, you are afraid that he will leave you if he has this information, and that's a possibility. But if you don't tell him, you are 100% starting again with a cycle of abuse because then you've brought the secret into the house and it's only going to roll from there. And so you, you have to find ways to be brave enough to break that cycle and to become someone new. Our culture really encourages us to look outside ourselves for signals that things are okay, that we're okay. But this example of amends reminds me that we just need to look inside ourselves for that information. 
We kind of already know the answers we need. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on the cycle of repair with Danya Ruttenberg. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We have two more steps to complete Maimonides' repair process. We're ready, finally, for an apology. Here's Danya. We in our culture want to start and end with apology, right? Oh, I did it. I'm sorry. And we like to apologize this way. We, we like to be like, I'm sorry that you took that so personally, Danya. <laughs> right. And the person who's apologized is like, great, I did such a great job. And they walk away. And the person who's hurt is like literally still you know, screaming in pain or whatever. Can somebody drive me to the ER and the person, the harm doers skipping away, feeling like they're, you know, absolved. Um, Right. That ain't it. So with this model, you have owned your stuff. You've had to face what you really did. And then you start this path of transformation, wherein you probably on a deeper level are getting on a, in a deeper way, the impact that you really had. And note that amends doesn't happen. We're not interfacing with the person who was harmed until we've started to do the work. We're not showing up at the the victim's door as the same person who had caused the harm. We're we're making the harm doer do a little work. So it reduces the possibility that harm will be perpetrated again. So by the time we get to apology and we have this negotiation about what amends is, it's not... I'm so sorry I'm checking off a box, but I see you. You're a human being. And my actions cause you, another human being, whose pain and life and dreams and everything are every bit as valid as my own. And I made choices, intentionally or unintentionally, that hurt you and caused you pain and suffering I am now full of remorse and I just, like, my open, sad heart needs to communicate this to you. It's an open heart flowing. It's not because I need to do it to get free. It's because 
it's just causing me pain to know that I did this to you and I want you to know that I am feeling this pain as a form of connection and, and an offering of love. Right. Right. That's that's apology. And and you know, you know when someone has shortchanged it mm. um, because they they go into it the wrong way. There are so many ways that harm doers can reinscribe and double down on the harm they cause through their attempts at an apology process or an attempt to ask for forgiveness when they don't see the victim as a full human being and they, when they don't understand the harm that they caused. Right. And so that's part of why this process is so important because it it forces you to really get it and to to honor their full humanity and to act accordingly. This is where I had an important question for Danya. Forgiveness is not guaranteed. The person who you hurt may not forgive you. They may have work of their own to do. The harm you caused may feel too big. What then? So, uh, in Judaism, we say, first, if you offer one apology and they say, go go away, (laughs) no thank you, Um, then you're supposed to come back later with three friends, a.k.a. an accountability team, a.k.a. some people who are there to check you and make sure you are uh, coming correct, as they say, that you're actually doing this right. They can be checking body language. Hopefully it's people who can be acting as go-betweens, like in a restorative justice process. And if they say no again, then you can come back a few more times, or required to come back a few more times. And I think implied is that then you go debrief with your people. Like, why isn't this landing? What am I doing wrong? Can you help me unpack where the the misstep is here? Implied is that up until a point, there might be more work for you to do. Correct. Correct. And, uh, you know, you can be as like totally well-intentioned and still not getting it and still missing some memos. Great. Go do the work. And if If at a certain point you keep apologizing and the person says no, then as far as Judaism is concerned, you're off the hook. At this point, Danya told me you've done what you can. And that leads us into step five of the repentance process. Inevitably, life will lead you to another chance to do the same thing. Step five is what you do with that chance. There will always be new opportunities for harm and you make a different choice this time. Right? Because you are so changed by this process that you go in a different direction. That's tshuva, right? That is the coming back. Then you are the master of tshuva, we say, the bal tshuva. You come back to the path of your own integrity. And the person who has not forgiven you, that is their business. You keep your eyes on your test, on your blue book, as we used to say, and they are working on their own stuff. And if you have caused someone kind of permanent harm, but if you cause someone the kind of harm that can never be healed, they're never required to forgive you. Ever, ever, ever. Like, just say this really clearly, you never have to forgive your rapist, okay? Ever, ever, ever. If you, in your healing process, get to a place that is organic and find forgiveness, wonderful. You can tell them, you cannot tell them, that is your business, but you never have to. If you were hurt by something fairly minor, you have to 
maybe do some work to figure out if somebody's coming to you sincerely. Are you being petty? Like what's keeping you from closing the accounts, right? You don't have to be friends again. Just like what, what is keeping you from letting go? But that is the business of the person who was harmed. It's not the business of the harm doer. And the harm doer can do all of their work and become a master of repentance, a balchuva, without ever being forgiven. So this game that a lot of people in power like to play of you have to forgive me so that I can be done and off the hook doesn't exist. Right. Right. Do your work. Right. Nobody actually... Um comes out clean in that game. No. No. I had one last question for Danya, and it felt pretty big. I've known Danya for a long time, and she's played a really important role in my life. I always knew she was Jewish, but I had no idea that this would be her life's work. I wanted to know how she got to this place. Why does this active work of repair and repentance feel so central to her life? Is this the part where we tell everybody that we were friends in college? I don't think we we actually got that on the record. No, I don't think we did. Yes, we were friends in college. In fact, we were more than friends. I'd say, Danya, that you, without even realizing it, had a huge impact on, on me. Like we were friends the year that I came out of the closet, and you were out first. You were you were a very brave queer person, and I, as a result, became a somewhat braver and certainly someone who had a lot more fun that year. Queer person. Oh, I'm. What happened? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was not. You have about the same haircut. Mind I you. know. The haircut hasn't really changed. Um, I was a, an atheist who somehow fell into the religion department as a religious studies major. And then my junior year of college, my mom died. And... Um, we did everything Jewishly, like you do. And part of, I just started doing this thing, which is like, you go to say the mourner's prayer for a parent for 11 months after the parent dies. And I just started going to synagogue to go say the mourner's prayer. And it didn't like mean anything to me at the beginning, except that my mother had died and this is how I was going to honor her. And after all these years of reading ritual theory, I kind of opened up the prayer book and I was like, uh oh, and I could like see what was there for the first time. Yeah. And then I moved to San Francisco after college, um, late 90s San Francisco, very fun. And yes, I do remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And um, decided, I guess I should have a synagogue as long as I'm here. And stumbled somehow into the synagogue of Rabbi Alan Liu. And I sort of walked in and sat down and I was like, okay, this service sound feels right. This is good. And he'd been seriously into Zen for 20 years before he went to rabbinical school. And his way of reading Torah came from 20 years of sitting still. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person who showed me that this book was not just about do this, don't do this, angry man on a mountain is, you know, whatever, but like, this is a story about us. Yeah. This is a story about our experience of the divine everythingness that is surrounding us and connecting us at every moment. And these stories can help us find our way 
into that connection and into the best, most moral, most responsible versions of ourselves. And I was like, what? What? (laughs) Nobody told me this in suburban Illinois. Well, I have to tell you, Danya, um, that sort of brings us back to when I began reading your book, I was looking for a blueprint, um, if I'm honest, to how we get back to the place where we were before a transgression of any sort happened Mm -hmm. in any way, whether that's an interpersonal conflict, an institutional conflict. Right. And um, then I quickly let go of that idea and moved on to, okay, well, what does real repair look like? And still wanted a definition for repair. Mm -hmm. And as I finished your book, I felt that real repair was simply deepening and strengthening the relationships we have to other people in any and every format, that that ultimately was what it was. And I want to end our conversation by reading this really lovely and hopeful couple of paragraphs from toward the end of your work, if I may. I'd be honored. You say, and I believe, it can be different. We know that it can. You know that it can. But the only way out is through. And on that way through, you know, you have seen here, profound healing can happen. Individual lives and relationships can be transformed. Communities and cultures can move toward care, accountability, restoration. Institutions can do the work needed to protect the people they serve. Nations can face the truth of what they have done, even if the work is imperfect, messy, or haphazard, and can make the choice to write a new story for tomorrow. Repair is possible. Atonement is not out of reach. What is needed, and this, of course, a great deal, is the willingness to do the work. What is needed is the bravery to begin. So good, Danya! (laughs) (gasps) And so right on. Thank you for this book. Thank you. That was Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. Check out our new book on repentance and repair. So now it's our turn to engage in this conversation. This week on Office Hours, bring something that you are thinking about, some work that you have to do. Let's talk it through. What's a repair that you're in the process of making? Join us this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Office Hours. We'll give each other courage to begin or encourage each other to get all the way through the process. You can find us on the LinkedIn news page or email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com for a link. And as always, if you like the show, please follow and review it wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us make a better show. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. Sarah Storm produces our show with mixing by Joe DeGiorgi. Florencia Ariando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor encourage us to live with integrity. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening.